0: Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. I pray that you are doing wonderful, and thank you for tuning in, for joining us today. Today, we're continuing our topic of salvation. We talked about those two eternal destinies of heaven and hell, and we're also going to be talking about today the gift, the great gift that Jesus gave us, the gift of purgatory. So uh, we're going to talk about what it's not, because that's probably some of the easiest stuff to knock out is uh, misconceptions that even I had as a Protestant. What it's not, we're going to talk about principles uh, laid out in the New Testament that imply purgatory. And then we're actually going to talk about explicit statements in the New Testament from Jesus himself and St. Paul of purgatory. And then we'll end off the show with a summary, a story, and a prayer. And so let's jump right into it. So what purgatory is not Purgatory is not a second chance. If you are in purgatory, you are going to heaven. So, at the time that we die, we have the particular judgment. God judges us right then and there, just as Hebrews says: "You die, then comes the judgment." So, if uh, if you're going, if you die in a state of mortal sin, rejecting God, rejecting His love, rejecting His offer of mercy and grace, and you die separated from Him, you end up being separated from Him. In hell, and you go straight there. If you are judged going to heaven, and if you need some cleanup, this is where you land in purgatory. In order to get to heaven, there is no reversal that happens in purgatory. If you're in, if you're in purgatory, you know that you're going to heaven. There's a great joy in that, right? Another thing that purgatory is not is a particular Catholic doctrine. Orthodox believe it. There's many Christians that believe it. The great C.S. Lewis, who is a Protestant. He believed in purgatory, and he actually talked about how sad or unthinkable it would be that Christ died for us, and he brought us to heaven just to keep us unclean, still broken, still dirty, unhealed, and still sinners, right? So uh, there's a aspect of it to it that there's like this myth, like this is a very Catholic medieval thing. Nope, it's going to be right there in scripture for 2,000 years, and still many Protestants still believe in purgatory, even if they don't call it that. They still believe in a purification after death to go to heaven because it's the great gift of Jesus. Another thing that it's not, it's not something outside of the salvation, the salvific work of Christ. A lot of people think like, oh, you're in purgatory to work something off. Actually, when you're in purgatory, you're precisely doing nothing (laughs) for yourself. There's no work that you can do. There's no prayer that you can do for yourself. It is purely the work of God. Uh, working in your soul and purifying you. And now we're part of the body of Christ, right? So there's still saints uh, in heaven and saints here on earth that can be praying to and for those souls in purgatory because they are alive. But it's precisely the work of Christ being applied to those souls in purgatory that in order to perfect them, to cleanse them when we die in God's friendship, but with disordered attachments or attachments to sin. And that's the key right there. So if you're in purgatory, you know you're going to heaven because you died in God's friendship. You did not die in mortal sin. You died in the state of grace with God. But you still might have some uh, parts of your heart that are, are, uh, you have disordered attachments to something. Created goods, and they are goods because God gave it to us. But we might have a disordered attachment to something, or we might have an attachment to sin or a lie that we believe. Um, And God purifies us of that, right? So in summary, here's what those states of the afterlife are. Hell that we talked about, hell is suffering with no love or hope. Heaven, the opposite side that we talked about, heaven is perfect love with no suffering. In this purgatory, this state of the soul before you get to heaven, it's suffering with love and hope. And I hope that sounds familiar, and we're going to talk about suffering in a later podcast here in This Life, and uh, perseverance, and continuing uh, in that state of grace, and walking with Jesus, and growing uh, in his presence, uh, even here in this life. This is really what this life sounds more like, right? Purgatory is, it's suffering, we suffer here, but with love and with great hope. So uh, it's a joyful place, it's a hopeful place, but it's also a place of suffering and purification that happens to our souls. So that's what Purgatory is not, and hopefully that illumines kind of what purgatory is. So let's kind of dive into the New Testament principles or where it's uh, implied, um, yeah, implied implicitly, (laughs) kind of redundant right there. But so Revelation 21, 17, it says, nothing unclean shall enter into heaven. So if you're in heaven, you are not unclean anymore. (laughs) Jesus says in Matthew 5, 48, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, both of those things, being unclean and being perfect, is not by any means will ever be some work of humanity. That's an impossible uh, task. <laughs> it's an impossible thing, right? Um, as I mentioned in our uh, topic of hell, I, you know that uh, parable when Jesus talks about how it's harder for a rich man uh, to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for the camel to go to, through the eye of a needle. In my mind, is for you know even for a few years, and I think a lot of people think like this, well, how How can I get that camel through the eye of the needle? No, the point is that it's impossible, right? We need the grace of God. We are sinners in in need of God's grace, his mercy, and his presence. Jesus says in John 15, 5, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And just before that verse in uh, chapter 15 of the gospel of John in verses 2 through 4, he talks about how he is the vine, we are the branches. And anything that doesn't bear fruit, uh, God... uh, prunes us right so he prunes us in order to bear more fruit to be more like him right so those places where we don't love like jesus abiding in jesus he purifies us he cleanses us he takes away all the bad stuff that hinders us from being totally free perfectly joyful perfectly happy and being fully human fully alive fully uh alive in the in the spirit right so and we actually see in um hebrews 12 20 through 22 through 24 the author talks about the mass the Catholic mass talking about the blood of Jesus and the new covenant and how we are surrounded by angels and saints at the, at this new Mount Zion, this holy sacrifice that we enter into. Um, and he talks about it, The author says it's the, we are also surrounded, not just by angels, but also the spirits of just men made perfect, made perfect by the, by the mercy and the grace of God. So even here and now those uh saints who have gone before us who have been perfectly purified by the grace of jesus are made perfect in heaven right so nobody in heaven is lacking and as we said before and in summary is that nothing unclean shall enter into heaven and we are fallen broken sinful human beings that need god's grace mercy and presence in order to be fully alive in him and uh saint paul he talks about right in romans 6 he's talking about the baptism being dying and rising with christ and um being, uh, walking in the spirit. He starts talking about that in Romans eight. And right between that in Romans chapter seven, he talks about the interior conflict between good and evil and our flesh and our flesh, not meaning uh, flesh is bad because the incarnation, obviously that would be a heresy. He's talking about fallen humanity, our, our sinful desires, our disordered attachments, our disordered desires and will right. Uh, apart from God's grace. So he even says this wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I of myself serve the law of God with my mind, and He tells us to be renewed by the transform trans, transformation of our mind. And but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So in our flesh, our human flesh apart from God's grace, we serve the law of sin. So we need God's grace. And Saint Paul again in Galatians uh, five sixteen through twenty six, he he correlates what is of the flesh and of the spirit so they're in conflict with each other as he says at the beginning of that section in galatians 5 16 through 25 he says walk by the spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh and then he goes on to talk about how the flesh and the spirit are in conflict with each other and the works of the flesh are plain and he goes on to list them then he talks about the fruits of the spirit love joy peace patience and so on and then at the end he talks about how those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires and if we live by the spirit let us also walk by the spirit so he talks about walking by the spirit of god so our humanity our human brokenness needing the presence of Jesus, needing the Holy Spirit, and to live a life according to what God has planned for us. And then uh, to end the chapter, end the Galatians letter, in Galatians 6, he talks about in verses 8 through 9, he says this, for he who sows to his his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So he's talking about heaven and hell right there right and let us not grow weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart and the concept of sowing and reaping i looked it up because i'm not an agricultural man (laughs) uh but sowing and reaping sowing is like planting and reaping is like taking back what uh has been um growing right so it's plants it's flowers whatever it might be you planted it and now it's growing and god gives that growth and then you, you receive it back right so Sowing and reaping. So, St. Paul is warning us to not be following the desires of the flesh and our sinful humanity. And he's telling us to walk by the Spirit. And that takes a lot of perseverance. And I was actually just thinking about this uh, recently. When I first had my conversion, I mean, my big thing uh, in my life was like mortal sin. I was acting out on mortal sin and I could not get over it. And Jesus freed me of that. And there was a period of time where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm walking in grace. And then, now, even four years into it, uh, and this will be a lifetime, is constantly, I have to battle my thoughts, <laughs> and uh, all over the New Testament, particularly in St. Paul, being transformed by the renewal of our mind, and uh, we take all thoughts captive to Christ, and all, the way that we think, and Jesus directs our thoughts in the Gospels, like, it is a battle over the heart and the mind, and the mind correlates with the heart, and... Um, Jesus uh, is trying to cleanse us of lies, of evil thoughts, of way that we judge people, think about people, um, seeing from a worldly perspective, and that is a constant battle. So even though I might be not doing this major sinning anymore, this is a persevering in the presence of Jesus Christ to be pruned as a branch on the vine, right? So uh, this is what is happening here in this life. And this is what happens here in purgatory is that he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. So again, that's essentially what purgatory is. If we die in God's friendship, we die in his grace, but we still need to be purified in those imperfections. God purifies us and perfects us by his grace and his mercy. So dying in God 's friendship, but we still might have disordered desires, disordered attachments to that law of the flesh that Saint. Paul talks about, or we have an attachment to to or we're guilty of venial sin so venial sin is talked about in first uh, John five sixteen where he talks about uh, those sins that are mortal, so deadly sins that cut us off from the grace of God completely no more presence of God in our souls because we rejected him um, or venial sin the smaller ones that you know are d- battling with our thoughts or thinking things you know and, and it's not grave or, mo- or uh, mortal um, uh, in that nature, right? So, uh, as far as the nature of the sin. So if we die in that state, but in God's friendship, this is how he does it is he perfectly purifies us. He cleanses us of our sin and our impurities. So, and then lastly, first John three, two, he says that we will be like Jesus because we will see him as he is. Well, who is God? He is in, from a philosophical, uh, framework, you can know that God is perfect goodness himself, justice itself, truth itself, life reality itself, wisdom itself, beauty itself. So God is ultimately uh exact reality of how we can think of right we just participate in it and receive it as a gift but he also reveals that he is perfect love in revelation and uh in revelation of jesus christ right he's like he is love and all those things goodness justice truth mercy all flow from who he is in his being is perfect love so he will completely heal us to be like him in all those ways right? Because we participate in goodness, but not perfectly. So then he is going to cleanse us to participate, to be more like him. And this is a continuing process as the first letter of St. John in uh, verses seven through nine. I'm actually going to just read verse seven and nine. This is what St. John says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And I believe that's a continuing uh, Greek right there, like he continues to cleanse us of all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and it will forgive our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So it's not a contradiction to be forgiven and to be cleansed, right? So Jesus forgives our sins, but he also purifies and cleanses us, as we see right there. And we also see the same concept in the letter of Hebrews in chapter uh, 12, verses 5 through 7. And I absolutely love this. I love it, love it, love it. Because... God is not, he, d- he loves us too much to leave us as we are, right? So he doesn't just forgive us and leave us. He transforms us by his love. And this is what it is to be a child of God, to actually be made perfect. And this is a continuing process here in this life, to participate fully and to be fully alive, to be fully human in the life to come. So this is what he says in the letter to the Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5, and I actually said through 7, but I, I'm going to read all the way down to verse 11 because it is great. It's all on the same topic. And he says this, Have you forgotten the exhortation which addresses you as sons? So he's talking about who are sons of God. And he says this, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor lose courage when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines him whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated then you are illegitimate children and not sons besides this we have had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them shall we not not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time at their pleasure but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness for the moment all for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Whoo, that is some good stuff right there. Doesn't just get you fired up like God loves us so much that he treats us as children. He disciplines us. He, he prunes us. He makes us perfect to make him more like him, to share in who he is right? This is the gift. So it is not a contradiction to be a child of God and just be forgiven. And so everything's supposed to be hunky-dory in this life. No, we live in a broken fallen world and we are sinful human beings that need God's presence always starting here. And now from the moment that God saved us to the very end, we need his grace and to be participating in his holiness. He disciplines us because we are true children of God. If we are not disciplined, then we are illegitimate as the scripture says. And in, even in that same letter, it's a letter to the Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 8, it's talking about how even Jesus in his humanity, it says this, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So talking about suffering and obedience and living in uh, a perseverance of living in God's will, living in, as a child, as a true child of God. So those are all the implicit ways, the principles laid out in the New Testament right there, that show that there is a purgation that happens here in this life and after because we can walk in God's friendship. We can be children of God, but to uh, suffer, the, um, to be purified, to be a child, to be disciplined, that is what it is to be a child. And in order for the goal to participate in the very nature of God, to become more like him. And in heaven, we are uh, perfectly clean. Nothing unclean shall enter heaven. Be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And so we are made perfect by the grace of God. He purifies us. He loves us too much to leave us as we are. So this is, these are the implicit ways, the implicit uh, principles laid out in the New Testament that are very clear that after death, and, th- and in this life and after death, the continuation, if we're, we die in God's friendship, we are not perfect. God per- perfects us by his grace and mercy. And now I want to talk about the explicit means in scripture so actually uh a lot of people will refer back to second maccabees twelve forty two, where they pray for their their brother who has or their family members who have died but they see that they're they had some sins on them right so they pray and it actually says in verse 42 of chapter 12 second maccabees that they that they were praying so that their sins will be wholly plotted out so they believed after death that and again this is like at the realm of the dead but their deeds followed them. So they were righteous, but they still had some sins. So then they must be, uh, they, those sins, those deeds must be purified or um, you know taken care of in some manner. So they prayed for them, right? So they prayed so that their sins may be wholly blotted out after death, right? So the reason I don't like going to this is one, uh, Protestants don't um, accept Second Maccabees as scripture, even though we know that it is from uh, the New Testament and the Apostolic Tradition. Uh, but it, so it's kind of a defeating point there for one, but also even if it's not treat it as a historical book. And it shows that Jewish people believed that you can pray for the people, for people after they died because their deeds followed them where they went. And so, and actually the, and the revelation of Jesus Christ actually proves that they were right, <laughs> right? That there is an afterlife and that wherever we do, it does follow us in the afterlife, so, but, uh, so the two places that I actually love to go to that are very explicit are by the lips of Jesus himself and St. Paul himself in two places. Uh, Jesus talks about this in Luke 12, 41 through 48 in the faithful and unfaithful servant. And St. Paul refers to it in 1 Corinthians 3. So let's start with Luke chapter 12. and This is the faithful and unfaithful servant that starts in verse 41 through 48 but I'm going to start in verse 42 when the, this is what Jesus says. And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise steward whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes will find so doing truly. I tell you, he will set him over all his possessions, but if that servant, and so right there, we see that it's heaven, right? So he says, blessed is that servant whom his master finds, uh, doing those things when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will set him over all his possessions. Then in verse 45, he says this, but if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the men servants and the maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. At an hour, he does not know and he will punish him and will put him with the unfaithful. So here he talks about somebody who knows that he is a steward of of gifts and he's supposed to be treating certain people and things certain ways, and yet he abuses his power, right? He knows what's right and he still does what's wrong. And guess where it ends it up? With the unfaithful. That's hell. Verse 47, Jesus continues. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not make ready or act according to his will shall receive a severe beating. So verse 47 is purgatory for those who uh they know God's will and they still didn't do it, but they still died in God's friendship, right? So they they were uh they did not make ready or act according to his will. They shall receive a severe beating. And then verse 48. But he who did not know and did what deserved a beating shall receive a light beating everyone to whom much is given of him will much be required and of him to whom men commit much they will demand the more so verse 47 was the servant who knew his master's will but still didn't do it uh, like he was supposed to shall receive a severe beating verse 48 is the servant who did not know it right so this is kind of like the invincible ignorance principle of people who just don't know but they're still trying to do the right thing and sometimes they fall or whatever but they just they don't they don't know uh, and they're acting towards their conscience, well, they'll receive a light beating. And that's speci- specifically what purgatory is, is uh, purification of and of what Jesus gives us here. So this is from Jesus himself. And then in uh, St. Paul, 1 Corinthians 3, and we're going to read verses 11 through 15. So this is what St. Paul says. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each man's work will become manifest for the day. will disclose it. The day referring to the judgment of the Lord. Because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. <laughs> So here St. Paul is clearly talking about uh, after death, when we are judged, uh, a person's works, what they do will be tested by fire, by the fire of God's love. And those that remain that were built on the foundation of Jesus Christ will receive a reward. And if anyone whose work was by those things that are, uh, you know, not enduring, he even gives examples of like, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, and hay, and straw. Those are examples of like things that are just going to, they're fleeting, right? They come and go, they're temporary. Any of those things that those works that we did that were not according to the spirit, not according to Jesus Christ, they will be burned up. And this is what he says, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So here we see the person suffering loss So they are suffering. So clearly it's not uh, perfectly being in heaven yet, right? But it says that though he himself will be saved, right? So we know that they're not in hell. So the person who's saved, though suffering loss, but only as through fire, the fire of God's love uh, being burned up. This is what purgatory is. That's exactly what purgatory is. You don't have to call it purgatory if you don't think that, if you don't want to call it that, but that's exactly what the whole purgatory is, is a purgation, a purification of God's love purifying us, right? So being saved and suffering loss only as through fire. So those are the two uh, main parts of scripture that I love to point out that are very explicit from Jesus and St. Paul himself. Okay, so so this is a, uh, again, like how we kind of talked about heaven and hell. This is also kind of, we, the, the term purgatory started getting used in the 6th or 7th century, I believe, and it started being more and more used as like it's a place, right? Purgatory, like it's, it sounds like it's a place. But really, there is no church teaching that it's a place or a state. For us, it seems like it's a state of the soul being purified on their uh, way to heaven. And again, as we addressed before on what purgatory is not, it is not outside the works of Christ, right? So a lot of actually theologians uh, speculate because we don't know what exactly what purgatory is like, but a lot of theologians and myself uh, believe that it's actually a state of the soul that is encountering Jesus, encountering God's purifying love, his consuming fire. That's exactly what purgatory is. We're encountering God's love and his love is so purifying that it burns away everything that is not of him right? It perfectly purifies us, makes us just like him. And in Hebrews twelve twenty nine, it says, our God is a consuming fire. Don't you love that? Like, so when we die, we're going to encounter the all holy, everlasting, all uh, perfect God who is love itself and his consuming fire, his perfect love is going to cleanse us. And again, as we said before, uh, purgatory is a lot like what we're doing here, right? So like First Peter 4, 12 through 14, St. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you to prove you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and the God of rest upon you. So scripture is very clear in the New Testament about uh, here in this life and in purgatory, we are going to be encountering the purifying love of God and that is, it will be suffering, right? So like this fire that we talk about, like God is a consuming fire. It is not a material fire. It's an immaterial fire that of perfect love. His love is is so illuminating it feels like it's a fire right so his love can be best explained that way so we see very very clearly that here in this life and in purgatory his love is a consuming fire that purifies us that makes us holy that participates in the very nature of who he is by the life passion death and resurrection of jesus so what is purgatory it's our soul's encountering jesus and encountering the purifying and fiery love of the of the blessed trinity father son holy spirit that is perfect love itself that burns off and completes his sanctifying work in us it's not outside of the cross it's because of the cross being very uh, applied to our very lives to make us a, like that we will be like him as he is that we will be love that we will be participating in perfect love. So that's what purgatory is. And again, uh, as we said before, hell is suffering with no love or hope. Heaven is love with no suffering. And purgatory is suffering with love and hope. And it's great joy. It's a lot of suffering and it's a lot of pain, but it is with great love and hope and joy. So sometimes, uh, and even on that point, sometimes we say in this life that, oh, we're experiencing hell. Well, well, it might be slightly true when we are consumed in sin. That's what hell is, right? If we're consumed in sin, we are might be participating in the very nature of evil uh, and hell. But um, I would really say, to, though, too, like suffering in this life, as specifically as a Christian, it's more like purgatory because the difference between hell and purgatory is hope and love, right? So here in this life as a Christian, we might be suffering, um, participating in the very uh, crucifixion of Jesus. But that the main hope is we have purifying love and hope and the presence of God that makes us holy to be like him as he is. Um, and on that point, we need to pray for each other, right? So we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in purgatory. We are one body, as St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, and we need each other. We The hand cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you, right? So we are all one body in Jesus Christ. If anybody is in Jesus, who is our head? And if we are the body, the church, the bride of Christ, and we and we are not disconnected from death, saints in heaven, saints here on earth, and saints in purgatory, we all need to pray for each other. So we need to pray and intercede for each other in process of sanctification, especially those in purgatory, because those in purgatory can do no more work for themselves. They can no more uh, choose. They are in a very passive state of uh, encountering God's love. And so every decision that could have been made uh, is made before their death, right? So there's no more things that they can do. And that's why we need to pray for them. And by the way, uh, there's no teaching on how long people are in purgatory for. It could be a split second, but even that split second, want to pray for them, right? Uh, Or it could be a long time. Um, And I want to tell a story about a uh, religious sister in purgatory. And I hope this actually kind of also uh, reforms our thinking to be transformed by the renewal of our mind about purgatory. And even like when we see like, if there's paranormal activity it could be evil but sometimes souls in purgatory want to tell us like hey i need help i need prayers right so there's a story of a religious sister who died in this chancery part of the church and this was i believe if i get this if i remember the story correctly is like at the end of the 1800s or the beginning of the 1900s and for there would be paranormal activity that would happen sometimes well what happens is they're going to start doing uh, renovations to that part of the church. So they're going to tear down this part of the church and then rebuild it. And so um, before they started doing that, they are about to go through with this process. Each night there would be more and more of this activity that would happen. There would like this room that have towels thrown around or whatever. And so the, a priest would, after that, a priest started going there and started praying and they would pray the mass, which is the most powerful prayer. It is participating and uh, it's participating in the very life, passion, death, and resurrection of God's love and Jesus's victory for us, right? So um, so they're celebrating Mass and each time that they're celebrating Mass, they get to the part of the Our Father as we forgive those who trespass against us. And the, all the candles in, in the room would go out. So they started praying for this religious sister to be purified of her any unforgiveness that she she had on her heart, that she would actually be purified of that unforgiveness to be perfectly um, forgiving. Um, And so they started praying praying that. And uh, after, I forget how many days it was or if it was a week's, I don't know. But uh, at the end there, hey, when they got to that part of the Our Father, the candle stayed on. And then when they said, let us show each other the sign of peace. And when they did that, all the candles went out. And, uh, so this was a religious sister who needed prayers, who needed purification, who needed God's love to be perfect, perfected in her soul in order to enter into fully into her master's joy, uh, in order to come in. So what, what was she doing there? Somebody asked me before, what was she doing there? Well, exactly what she said, exactly what we've been saying. She died in God's friendship, but she still needed to be purified perfected in his love, in his consuming fire. And so I really pray that this uh, episode was extremely helpful and we see the very gift that purgatory is because it is precisely the work of Christ being perfectly applied to us. He doesn't—he loves us way too much to leave us as we are. He doesn't want us unhealed, uh, still broken, still sinners when we enter into heaven. He wants us to be fully human, fully alive. When we look at the Blessed Virgin Mary, some people are like, uh, you Catholics act like she's like more than human. Nope, she's actually the most human <laughs> because God made us to participate in his love perfectly. And that's what he calls us to, is to participate in his love perfectly. And just as C.S. Lewis said, like this is the very gift of purgatory so that the very work of Jesus that he came to do would actually be perfected in us, that we would be fully healed. And that's what the whole gospel is about, being healed. We'd be fully healed, fully sanctified, fully purified to be perfectly participating in the very nature of God, which is love. So because of that, let's pray for our brothers and sisters in purgatory right now and for all of our family and friends. Father, we thank you and we praise you for the gift of purgatory. We thank you for your consuming fire of love. We thank you, Lord, for that we're participating in here and now, that uh, we ask, Lord, uh, to be true, legitimate sons and daughters of you, that you would discipline us, uh, that you would that you would purify our souls here and now. And we especially pray for all the, our uh, brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters who are in purgatory, who are being perfected right now by your love. We we pray for their souls that they uh, would be um, purified right now, that that consuming fire of who you are would be truly um, perfecting them so that when we come to Mass, we too can say that we are surrounded by angels and saints and all of the souls of the just men and women made perfect in your love. Amen.